podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan, and as the sport of Speedway marks its 100th anniversary, in this episode, we speak to one of the greatest riders of all time, Hans Nielsen. Through the 80s and early 90s, Denmark dominated World Speedway. Hans Nielsen was known as the Main Dane. He secured four individual world championships. In total, though, through his career, he was involved in 22 world titles with Denmark. In British Speedway, he topped the averages every year between 80 and 90. You could argue he's the greatest rider of all time. The most important, I think, looking back is to win that first world title. Nielsen leads it, and now the crowd surely will carry him home. I've done it, you know, I proved that I can be the best in the world, and to, to then win another three, obviously, is great, but I, I think when you look back, well, I won one, two, three. The most important is that you go and win once. We'll hear about those four world championships and examine if it could have been more as well. He finished second on six occasions over his career. We'll get the inside story on that feud with Ollie Olsen and how he was conscious not to make the same mistakes when he himself became Danish team manager. And we look to what's next as Hans Nielsen takes charge of Polish club Piwa. The sport of Speedway then celebrating 100 years and across that century there have been few better than our guest in this episode. One of the greatest of all time, certainly through the 80s and the 90s, he is Hans Nielsen. Welcome to Humans of Speedway, Hans. Thank you, pleasure. When I look down your career, I wonder where where to start because there's so much to talk about so much that you've done and won of course and we'll try and cover as much as we can over the next hour but we'll start at the beginning as we always do how did Speedway come into your life? Well I was a part of uh, of the first uh, 50cc riders at the time back in 73 when I started and I was that was a couple of years after Ola won his first world title in 71 so Speedway just sort of became more known and uh, was so much because of that. It was more because of uh, one of my uh, my 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 older brothers' uh, friend. Um, those the two they were riding in in a, in a nearby club, uh, Oldborg, sort of half an hour's drive away. Um, and um, I went a couple of times just to watch my brother kill uh, ride, and uh, didn't think too much about it. It was okay, but uh, then his his friend uh, then started the club in Bros where I come from and uh, only a couple of kilometers from where I live, uh, starting off with the, with the small uh, track, which was new then. I think it was only probably one or two tracks around the country at the start of the year before. Uh, Silkeborg was one of them. And then uh, we started uh, in Bros. So I thought, well, we'll have a go. Uh, I had an old moped I was riding in the old gravel pit uh, close by and uh, thought, well, we'll have a go on Speedway and see what it's like. And... Uh, yeah, I got hooked straight away, and my, my other brother also started on the 50cc, so uh, we were riding together. There was about five, five of us uh, there just just having fun and uh, and messing around And uh, the first year, and, uh, and it uh, went off from there. got a bit more organized the following year, got a sort of more like a proper built speedway bike on a 50cc still, Yamaha. And uh, so I did okay a couple of years, uh, actually three years on the 50cc. I, I won a couple of meetings, but nothing big. I did ride in the championship, uh, but but never really won it. Uh, Tommy Knudsen actually won one of them, and uh, so so it was okay. But I didn't really have the best equipment. I didn't really have the money to buy all the you know the Chryslers was the big ones at the time, and uh, so uh, but it was a good learning experience. 
learned to slide the bike a bit. And although it was only 50cc at the time, now it's 85cc. The track was smaller than the first track. There was only like 130 meters, uh, whereas the ones we're using now is 200 meters. So that's why they went one step up to use the 85ccs to get a bit more power to get the broadside going. So, so but even then, as I say, 50cc was okay on the on the on the on the 130 meters. Still got it sliding a bit and, and got the feel of it and. Uh, and I got hooked on it. And uh, so it was really, you know, after that, it was the next step was uh, when I turned 16 was to go into the 500s. And that process and, and, and the way you learn obviously paid dividends because you look at the domination of Denmark through that era and whether it was the gating or the racing skill, the craft, whatever it was, that stuff that you'd probably learn as a youngster with those names that you mentioned that you were, you know, coming through with, growing up with, you know, they, nobody could hold a candle to the Danish team then. So that it, that starts with that youth development, though. So it was, it was obviously a, a system that worked well. Absolutely. And, you know, quite soon, you know, after the first year I started, uh, I think there's probably another eight or ten clubs starting around the country. And, uh, and certainly, yes, just starting early, turning left, and, uh, you know, compared to other guys around the world, probably, you know, started 15, 18, 20 years old. Uh, so obviously, we, we did have a big advantage at the time. But... But also, obviously, uh, growing up in that environment, you know, uh, with the speedway, just you know, got hooked on it and and the friendship and and stuff. So, so uh, yes, certainly, I think by the time we came to England, uh, we had a, certainly an advantage on on a lot of the other guys and the fact that we it was like a group of group of us doing really well together and 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 of course wanted to be the best team uh, along the way as well, if possible. So that 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 got things going as well. So. So, um, but of course, the little you know, uh, the last many years, uh, all the countries has caught up and also have the either eighty five or one twenty five uh, four stroke or one forty whatever now, uh, you know, one ninety as well in this GP four. So, so I guess we, uh, I guess we, uh, they squared up to us now, and uh, Australia has been running it for many years, and they've obviously uh, produced many many uh, uh, talents there as well. So, um, so yes, but at least we got the jump at the time. So you, you mentioned there it was only 16 when you got on a, a 500cc bike, um, 17 years old, though, so not long, you, you make the move over to the UK. Big decision for someone to come over to a, a strange country. And on top of that as well, you, you ride at Wolverhampton. Now, talking about the length of tracks you were learning on, did you find that Wolverhampton being a fairly tight, people call it a technical track. Um, did you find that that was something fairly easy to to master fairly easily, or, or was it something you had to learn something different when you came here? Well, obviously, the first first year I rode in Denmark, that we did ride in the league, but it was like the Danish third division, the lowest of the lowest. We had to start somewhere, you know, with the club just having started in Brost. Uh, and the tracks then was was very much made up of uh, you know this white chalk kind of thing, uh, and and there wasn't a bit of black shale and stuff as well, and and there wasn't that much grip on it. The size was actually similar to the Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton was slightly smaller, but ours was about three hundred meters most of them anyway. So, so the, the size wasn't so much so different, but it was more that the grip, you know, the dirt, the, the English shale with the clay in, uh, was really really grippy and uh, a lot more of it. So when I first came over and, you know, after having ridden one year on these slick tracks in Denmark and uh, having done quite well uh, uh, for my, my club, as I say, that was third division. So I was coming from the lowest of the lowest in Denmark to the best division in, uh, 
in England, obviously at the time we weren't allowed to ride in the second best division, so we had to go straight in, into the top top league. Uh, so that was a huge uh, difference. So when I first came over in March, you know, we just with the one bike, uh, uh, with with the, with the four wheel whistling I just had the year before and towards the end of the year um, in my first year when I was 16 uh, I actually won the junior championship on it brought that all to England and and, and uh, the first run I had the practice at Wolverham was a bit of a shock you know I couldn't uh, couldn't really turn it properly <laughs> so so it took a while to, to get used to to uh, to the tracks but and of course the first meeting I rode in Wolverham I didn't score I, I just wasn't anywhere near it. and uh, but luckily in the next meeting was I think was at Cradley and it was a bit bigger and I you know got on okay got about six or seven points or something and, and from then on I, I adapted quite quickly and I learned quite quickly and uh, as I say just one year on the 500cc the year before was was not really much to <laughs> to come and uh, race against the best guys in the world. And it was quite a quick rise, really, and, and you spent a few years at Wolverhampton, but then you're getting onto the world scene, you're riding in the European Under-21 final, you got into the world pairs with Oli Olsen, of course, who was the you know the first world ch- champion from Denmark as well, and, and all the focus was on him. And, and all of a sudden you go from you know someone who's a, an inspiration to, to riding alongside that that person as well yeah it was as i say it was a shock to come over and and and, and uh, you know line up next to ivan made you know and so on and uh obviously didn't, and to know that he had no chance of beating them but but uh, you know after a couple of years you know got in there and and, and mixed with them and um, as you say the, the actually we've had the world team cup in 78 two years later uh, or the following year in in Landshut, uh, where we're now back in the in the Grand Prix again, um, where we won for the first time. It was the first time we qualified. Uh, uh, Denmark qualified for the World Team Cup, and and then to go down there and, and win it, and and being top scorer for me, just dropping one point was uh, my big breakthrough internationally as well. Simmons leads the red helmet there. Peter Collins is second. Nielsen of Denmark with the blue helmet, he's third, and Michael Lee is at the back. And of course, as you say, in the, the following year, 1979, uh, we won uh, the best pairs in Voyens uh, home ground, uh, also for the first time, and, and together with with uh, other uh, who obviously had been a big inspiration to me. Uh, the fact that he's been, the, you know, been the best in the world, and you know, when you're a little kid trying to learn to ride speedway, you look at these guys like Ivan Mady and Olsen and and try to. Uh, to copy them a little bit, and that's where you sort of, uh, I guess, get your style and stuff stuff from, and um, and then to actually come and go over there and compete against them was uh, was a, a really big uh, big thing. Looking at British Speedway at that time, then obviously now the focus is all on Poland and and maybe Sweden, and we'll talk about that in a bit more in a sec. But um, was was Great Britain the place that you had to be if you were a serious rider? Because like, for example, Eric Gunderson, he came over a little a little after that, didn't he? To uh, and ended up at Cradley, but was 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 riding in Britain sort of a key thing that you had to do if you want to get anywhere? Yeah, absolutely. That was the only place that was really regular uh, racing, professional racing, and obviously all the top guys was there. So if you want to uh, become better, you had to to race against the best, and uh, and that was in England. So and and to come over and uh, to become a full time professional speedway rider was was really uh, quite something, and to actually to be able to live uh, of the speedway, although. Obviously, the money wasn't all that good the first year it came over, but even so, they took good care of me in, in Red Wolverhampton, find me a, a nice family to stay with, and, and the team manager take me around. And I was riding with Finn Thompson at the time as well, helped out a little bit with travel and stuff as well. So 
so obviously it was tough financially as well, but you know I made my way and it was uh, it was okay. So so having had a, a pretty good first season in seven with about that seven and a half point average for the first year. Um, yeah, not a bad start. <laughs> yeah, it was a good start. So I was able to do a, an okay contract for the following year and, and got you know got going and got some more bikes and car and stuff and and really got on the road. I think on the whole, um, probably at that time, the Danes were ahead professionally, if you know what I mean. And the way that um, certainly my vague recollections, certainly through the 80s, that always had really good vans, great branding, you know, well presented, everything was gleaming. The Danes always seemed on it, you know, the mentally prepared, physically prepared machines were prepared and maybe some riders um british base riders perhaps a little bit looser around the edges there and, and living a bit more of a rock star lifestyle at times yeah i think the big difference also was the fact that that we made a big decision coming to england to to try to be a professional speedway rider so obviously we got to give we got to have to give it everything to be able to succeed because if we didn't succeed we would just be sent back with the next ferry so so uh, so we had to to really push everything hard and, and, and to be serious about it all, otherwise we wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't make it. So, so I think that was a big difference as well. And, and that's where the, the British has, you know, maybe become a little lazy, if you like, a little easier, stay at home with the family and, and, and you know, have a good time. And uh, I think that was one, one of the big differences. In this early stage when you're getting into Speedway, what was your expectation or hope of how your career would pan out? Were you always feeling that... You know, world championship and, and international level speedway was going to be your thing or were you just there for the ride and just to see where it turned out? Well, obviously when I first started, I didn't expect anything. It was just fun. I never thought about even being a professional speedway rider when I first started. Uh, and the first three years as riding on the 50cc, all fun. I was, it was pretty good, okay, but it wasn't really till later. I mean, when I then moved up onto the 500cc, I was sort of... Uh, I guess still cruising, having fun, learning to ride a speedway bike, and and I just happened to qualify, just scraping through to the semi-final into the Danish junior final, and and happened to uh, to do well, uh, partly because uh, the, my hometown uh, scraped some money together. Uh, they chipped in a bit of money. All the, the inhabitants in in Braus was uh, was giving a bit of money to to this new engine, uh, and everybody was riding two Valjaos at the time, all the juniors and. Uh, the Westlake had just came come out a year or two before riding it in England, and then I actually got this new engine before the before the final, and uh, and they just went with everybody, won it with a fifteen point max, and and then I sort of realised, mm, okay, I'm I'm pretty good, <laughs> but but it wasn't really till the following, uh, uh, the following winter that Finn Thompson rang me from on behalf of Wolverhampton. Uh, he was living in in. Uh, still in Denmark in the wind of Finn and rang me uh, down from Aarhus and uh, asked me to come out and, and, and ride professionally for Wolverhampton. And, and uh, that, that was a bit of a shock. I hadn't really thought about it at all to become a professional speedway rider at the time. I was, as I say, I was just cruising and having, having a bit of fun and uh, enjoying racing. So that, that really made me think. And, and obviously still being at school, I had some, you know, some, some uh, important decisions to make together with my, my parents and, and brothers. And, and obviously my parents weren't too keen for me to leave school. I only had uh, 
sort of a few months left of my exam, so have to go to England in March was uh, was not too popular. But uh, you know, in the end, I convinced my parents that that is what I wanted and uh, that's what I should do. But even so, I still I didn't really. Uh, expect anything i thought yeah it's great i can go and write, go and write professionally and, and try and, and and make a living out of it but but never really sort of thought uh, about world champion stuff like that at all i just you know t- took one step at a time had no idea really how good i was uh, before <clears throat> i think maybe sort of during the middle of the season ish in 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 Wolverhampton when i became sort of okay start scoring seven eight nine points uh, sometimes and and I, I remember actually I think a headline in the Speedway Star uh, mentioned that uh, you know maybe we have a future world champion here that uh, I think that made me think a little bit ah uh, maybe you know maybe someday and and so so I start slowly thinking about it from there on I think yeah and the rest is history what what would you say was your secret what what was it in your locker that made you better than all of the other riders that you faced was it the fact that you could gate was it the fact that you always had better equipment or you did more research into the science of Speedway or you had a riding style? What what was it? What was the difference over everyone else? Well, it's funny, you know, so many years after I've sort of been watching some of the, I've had some old, uh, you know, the six millimeter film that was taken when we were off riding the Danish championship as a 16 year old. And, and actually when you see some of the style then already, that's been sort of following me all, all, all the way through. And I think my style was sort of based on sort of watching some of the good guys, as I said, all of media and so on, and uh, and and luckily had developed a pretty a good style, you know, safe style, and, and and a style that I could could trust and I could ride wherever I wanted to, mainly on the on the track. Uh, and even though it took a little while <clears throat> the first year when I came to England just to adapt, I adopted with that style pretty quickly to to the difficult tracks in England and uh, and that has uh, I think has been a big help all the way through my career that I've been sort of pretty pretty uh, have pretty control of the bike pretty much control of the bike and, and could do like you say uh, most things go wide uh, inside whatever turn on a, a pinpoint and so on and uh, and and still stay on the bike for for, for that <laughs> uh, that helps uh, so so yes and and at the beginning I wasn't that a good starter but I worked hard on it and 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 always uh, obviously knew it was important and I always worked really hard on becoming a good starter so so slowly I became better and better and and and, and did okay but but funny enough when I I saw one of the, the videos that was made up of of all the a lot of heats when I didn't make the starts and 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 I didn't actually make the start all the time obviously so 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 one of my you know uh, Things was as well to, to be able to pass people and, and as you say go different lines either really wide or really a lot inside all the line stuff like that and and, and I thought that was that was most fun of riding in speed ride that was actually passing people but of course you wanted to make the gate if you possibly could uh, less dangerous and and uh, uh, earn more money and you win more things if you make the start so <laughs> luckily luckily yeah, yeah I, I've got pretty far with that. You have four world titles. Myself, looking back through your record in advance of this interview, it strikes me that it could have been a lot more. Um, that when you consider how close you came in uh, the likes of, you know, 1984, um, 1985, and, and so on, that it was between you and Eric, of course, and you, you dominated that entire, well, sort of two thirds of the 80s. It was, it was you or Eric that there was the 
the world champion. So you, that was a, a rivalry there as well, a, a friendly one, I'm sure. Um, maybe not always, but that that for me, for you, I don't know. Do you feel that you should have had more than the four? Well, obviously, like you say, when you look through throughout the career, we were six uh, um, seconds, uh, wise world champion, whatever you call it. Uh, you think that you know I could have had maybe a little bit more luck to to win a uh, two or three of them. Uh, obviously, sometimes you got luck, sometimes you haven't, and and I I feel that I was close enough that I probably should have won a two or three, but you know for various reasons I didn't. Uh, you know, like uh, well, for instance, you know, a broken leg and uh, uh, being out for well, broken foot and and being out for three weeks up to the to the world final in. Uh, in '94, in Edwards, you know, um, uh, and being beaten by Tony in, in the runoff, uh, being excluded twice in the, and but still got was 11 or 12 points from the other four races, and so things like that, you know, and, and silly things has happened, but but then other, you know, times you had a bit of luck as well. So so in in one respect, it evens itself out. But I think you know, six, six uh, second places was was uh, one or two or three too many. People will always talk about individual world titles when they're looking at who is the greatest speedway rider of all time. And of course, you've got Tony Ricardson and Ivan Major up there. But you've talked about the ones that you missed out on. But I think speedway, though, more than an individual event, is a team event in so many places. And when you take into account world team cups and pairs tournaments and, and all these, you've actually won 22 world championships in Speedway, which is way ahead of any other rider. Arguably, you could say you are the most successful Speedway rider of all time when you weigh those in. Where do you feel you sit in the history of Speedway? Yeah, there's there's many ways to look at it. Of course, I need a help to to be able to win world team cups and pairs as well. It's not all on my own, but of course, I've been a, a big uh, contributor. Uh, but I think you know, all around, if you look look at my career, I've, I've always tried to 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 be the best, with whatever, whether league or individual meetings. And in the old days, there was a lot more individual meetings about, and I, I won a lot of them throughout my career, probably most than uh, most uh, riders. So, so in that respect, I've had a obviously a really good run from, as I say right back in uh, start winning things big things but right back in in 79 and and winning things all the way through my career and kept uh, on on a reasonable uh, standard all the way through and uh, i think certainly obviously when i look back and uh, whether you know if we had the grand prix a lot earlier i think i could probably have won more but but as I say, um, you know, maybe the majors and Olsen would say the same thing. So, uh, but certainly, uh, obviously, that is where the likes of Tony Regison had a, you know, a bit of an advantage uh, in his later career, being able to win more that uh, way because he was also very, very much on top all through the year. Uh, so, so I think I could have won more. Maybe three of those uh, silver medals would have would have been uh, turned around to a uh, to gold if if it was one prize uh, throughout the years because I, I felt that was. I was pretty, pretty, pretty steady all the way through the season and uh, winning, winning uh, lots of things, and, and could have won more if it was Grand Prix, I think. But as I say, others would probably claim the same. But uh, but certainly, I've, I feel very happy about not just you know everything I won, but the whole career has been incredible. Uh, been around the world and you know Australia, America, and every, every, Poland and stuff, and 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 having a great time uh, meeting lots of people and getting friends uh, across the world and. Uh, 
being able to do it without too many injuries, you know, has been a big, big thing as well. Obviously, especially now when you look at some of the serious injuries that guys have had, and then I've been very fortunate uh, to to only had a couple of uh, broken bones uh, and only small ones, collarbone and uh, uh, a few broken uh, knuckles in, in my foot, but. But otherwise, of course, had lots of crashes and, and blue marks and, and hurt here and there and the back I heard that a couple of times, but but nothing nothing serious enough to to uh, to having troubles uh, after my career. So so that's uh, that's fortunate. So so altogether, whether I'm being the you know the world best or not, it's it's not really that important. I think the most important I think looking back is to win that world first world title. And obviously the first one in 86 was really a breakthrough for me. And that was really when I thought I'd done it, you know, I've proved, proved that I can be the best in the world. And to, to then win another three, obviously it's great. But I, I think when you look back with a, with a one, one, two, three, four, seven, it, it, that's not the most important. The most important is that you go and win once. So you, you, you're actually proven that you've been the best in the world. And looking back on that, you had two very near misses in the years prior to winning your first title in 84 and and 1985 and I was actually there in 1985 it's a very vague memory but you were at Bradford and um you you were on great form that year you know in 1985 you had won the Danish final you got a 15 point maximum and really you know it was it was down to you and, and Eric Gunderson once again and you just had that one heat really where you came unstuck and that really cost you didn't it when you hit the fence hard there at Bradford yeah I, I, I crashed the, the fairly hard in that old uh, uh, metal fence or whatever it was I felt like metal when I hit it uh, and then I couldn't use my bike again so I had to use a spare bike out there I'm sure that had some some part of it Also because it was Cook who came across and Nielsen is down and he looks to be in some trouble. Well, let's look at it again. And Nielsen, you see, looks to have got a clear start. But who hit him out of the night's air? It was Cook who comes across and they all pile in together. And it's Nielsen who goes down. Again, was first Ben Bunching. And we should have all four riders back in, but they're calling for a stretcher. There's a reason most times when, when you don't win and whether it's, it's a bad log or whether it's just bad riding, whatever. But, um, you know, I felt a little bit bad luck in, in some of those that I didn't win. But on the other hand, others would probably say the same. Well, of course, you still can be champion. We ought to stress that without a runoff. But everyone's wondering whether there'll be a runoff. Are you going to look back at Heat 16 and, and wonder whether you could have done better and whether you were distracted by the spill before the run, rerun? Well, no doubt about it, yes, I will look back. But uh, if I can win it still, you know, uh, I'll probably forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think the 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 major fact that I didn't win it on the day and uh, and that uh, had to go to that uh, that runoff uh, where uh, I was on the second bike. But but it's as I say, you you need everything needs to go your way on the day, and and it didn't you know on the day. So, but obviously the worst part of it, it was you know second in a row that uh, you know uh, Eric won the year before as well in Gothenburg. So so it was tough taking it you know two years in a row being being second, especially to your to your rival you know your countrymen so two second places in the world and a lot of people will be very happy with that but of course you you've seen how close you came 
to winning a world title. So third time lucky. And uh, you and Eric once again do battle in Katowice in Poland behind the then Iron Curtain, travelling to Poland at that time. Obviously a very different prospect than, than what it is now and a different place to go for Speedway as well than what it is now. Did you feel um, more pressure in any way going into that one? Well, obviously being... The, th- the third third time out, you know, after being second twice, you know, I was pretty desperate. I, I wanted to win it real bad, and, and when I did, I was that was such a relief, and and I was so obviously so glad and proud, and and to be world champion to prove that I can do it, because obviously there had been a lot of talk, you know, Hans Nelson is only going to be the you know forever number two, uh, uh, so so to actually prove to everybody that uh, that I have actually got it, I can win world titles was 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 great and. Uh, and the fact, of course, that is, you know, over the, you know, those few years that was, you know, uh, all you wanted to do was obviously, yeah, sure, you want to be good in leagues and open leagues and stuff, but winning that world title is, is really the most uh, important thing in the world. You finally got there, uh, but 1986, the meeting, talk us through what you remember of it, because as with all world finals, there were, there were twists and turns, and it went right down to the very last heat for you to confirm the, the world title in, in heat 20, I think it was, wasn't it? But uh, there, were, there were also one or two controversial incidents, again, that could have gone either way. This time, though, you, you got the look. Obviously, through the meeting, there was a lot of pressure. Eric beat me in the first one, and uh, I had a, a close one with Tommy where, you know, one of us was going to go out uh, when we crashed, and uh, he could just as easy be me as him. So so there was a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, desperation to win it, and obviously it was a tough race, and, and, and that's, you know, what you got to do when you win a world, win world championship. You have to you have to be pretty tough, and you gotta got to do what you have to do. Knudsen leads them around the first turn. Nielsen pegged back to second position. Now, what can Nielsen make of this as they go into the bends around the pits turn there? Knudsen leads its centre track and coming through on the inside is Nielsen, but down goes Knudsen and just uh, clipping the bike there was Castagna and the Italian there in uh, all sorts of problems. Seems as if he clipped uh, Knudsen's bike after the Danish rider fell. And uh, Sean, we've got real drama here now and we wonder what the referee is going to make of all that. And we can see it again here in slow motion. Yeah, I think... uh... To be honest, as it looked, uh, Tommy just left a little room for uh, Hands, uh, obviously not purposely, and since Hands took the advantage of it and uh, just picked up a little bit, but uh, in saying that, he seems just to come out a little bit too much to block Tommy and wasn't ahead of him enough to, to not have this happen. And uh, uh, taking Tommy down, I, I believe it would have to be Hands' fault. Uh, I don't know what the referee is going to do, but uh, after seeing that again, it's it's, it's hard to say what's going to happen. Uh, I would have to favor Tommy for being back in the room with the exclusion of Hans Nielsen, but uh, we'll have to see what the referee says. And obviously, there's been various uh, various uh, opinion about that race with Tommy, uh, with me uh, uh, coming under him and uh, him turning a little bit back, and we crashed and uh, stuff. And and like when you look at the regulation, the the rule book as it was in those days, um, it's probably the same rules now, but I think they interpreted the rules a little. Uh, different then that was more like if you're in front you know you you could do whatever you like almost uh whereas today yeah they will look more at who runs into who and and uh, and was this today i might have been excluded instead of tommy but you know at the time i was i was sort of ahead when we when we touched and and the referee uh, rightly half my opinions <laughs> excluded tommy so but as i said today it probably would have been different 
And that's what I mean. Some you're lucky, some you're not. And uh, this one I was probably lucky. I think I probably rode a bit hard. And also with Ivan Major helping me, he was uh, saying that in World Finals, you've got to sort of ride 25% harder than in normal meetings. So, yes, I, I rode hard. So you, you had the look on your side this time and then it came down even then to, to a last heat decider and, yeah, you had to beat Jano Pedersen. Yeah, of course, it was the last race when I, when I only had to win the last last race and, and beat Jano. Uh, uh, and actually having done it, you know, obviously you've, you've, you've remember the moment, you know, the last lap or two, you think, Chris, you know, I hope it's not going to stop or break a chain or something. And here steht es fest, we have a new Einzelweltmeister 1986. Und dieser heißt, und das freut uns ganz besonders, aus Dänemark, Hans Nielsen, der hier von Jano Petersen gratuliert wird. And when you did cross the line, you, oh, it's just relief and, and, and so glad and that, that you know, uh, at last you succeeded and, uh, and you can call you, you, yourself world champion. You said it was very important to win that first one, most important of all. How did things change for you? Did, did your life and career change and did your focus change because you'd had this drive to go one better you'd beaten beaten the last couple of years to finally then do it then what was the aim i just felt that uh, great i'm here i know i can win it again if i keep going and i want to uh, win as many as i can i want to win all the meetings i can i want to do as well as i can for my my clubs uh, everywhere i ride and i just love to be successful and and enjoyed riding a speedway bike uh, fast and making good start and passing people I just enjoy the whole thing and, and the whole thing about traveling around the world uh, as I say meeting people having having uh, acquaintances and and, uh, and having fun was was great and uh, being able to make a good living at the same time uh, was uh, was ideal K40 Ari to see the world champion in 1987 Hans Nielsen Tension is tremendous up to the first corner and Nielsen it is who will show. Nielsen leads it. Oh, Doncaster tried to spear him and missed him. Nielsen away, Doncaster is second. Risk is third and now the crowd surely will carry him home. So I, I just I just wanted to go on and on and, uh, as long as I, I could uh, uh, really and... Uh, I've, I felt I kept a, a, a reasonable semi-standard from then on and, and maybe even better uh, the following years and uh, and enjoyed it at the same time. So there was no no time I thought, oh, I've done it. What am I going to do now? Not at all. Four-time world champion Hans Nielsen on this episode of Humans of Speedway. So that's one world title down. There's plenty more to talk about in the next part of Humans of Speedway. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway. Don't forget to check out some of the previous episodes. Recently, we spoke to Craig Ackroyd, FIM Speedway Grand Prix referee, Brady Kurtz, the captain of the Bellevue Aces, and also Alan Rossiter and Ben Cook as well. Incidentally, Brady Kurtz and Ben Cook involved in the Australian Speedway Championships, which are coming up in January. Find out more about what's involved there. It's an intense program of five fixtures in 10 days traveling across Australia. 
all the details in the previous episodes. Right now, we're speaking to one of the greatest riders of all time, Hans Nielsen, four-time world champion, 22 world titles in all when you factor in uh, team honours and uh, best pairs and things like that. Um, Hans, we've spoken about that first world title and how you finally got the better of Eric Gunderson, but you had so much other competition as well. And, and really, the competition at the time was from fellow countrymen, Jan Anderson, Jano Pedersen, Tommy Knudsen. These were the riders you were having to beat. Yeah, but, uh, as we talked about before, we were on top of the world at the time, having you know three, four, five really good riders. And, and so obviously, with the, we had to beat each other. And, and being Danes, all of us, we want to be the best Danes as well. So uh, really kept kept us on our toes. And uh, and it helped us in the end. Uh, and I mean, the last few years, you've seen Poland being having the same thing probably. And uh, so certainly it, it, it's an advantage if you can be lucky enough to have uh, a few guys on top of the world uh, from the same country. So when you've got these guys on the top of the world, as you say, from, from the same nation, from Denmark, you'd think that you would all come together and you would create a dream team, really, um, and, and sort of leave the rivalries of the individual speedway behind. But actually, the rivalries still continued when you were racing together as a team and not least fueled by um, one of your heroes from your younger days, Ollie Olsen, uh, who became the team manager. And really the the love was not necessarily dished out as equally as you'd like through the team. Yeah, it's been good. And obviously at the beginning it was, we had trouble when Ola, uh, Ola Olsen uh, retired and decided to become, become the Danish, team, uh, the Danish uh, coach. Team manager, where it was called at the time, and and uh, obviously with Eric and I being rivals, and and he uh, decided he was going to make Eric world champion uh, instead of me. Uh, obviously, there was, a few, there was a few problems then. So, one, I think we lost because of it in '94 in Italy when England uh, won it. We were obviously Eric and I was on top of the world and the best riders in the world at the time, so obviously we should have won it. But but because we. Uh, we didn't really have uh, what it took on the day. Uh, I think mainly because of a, a team manager to try to uh, to favour one rider, so we never really got to work properly together. Uh, turned out that he put us into two different hotels when we got down there. So with Eric and his camp in one, and mine in another, which wasn't very uh, very ideal. So it was just he was just trying to, uh, for whatever reason, to to sort of uh, put a split between us, which was pretty stupid. A lot of people are saying that you and Eric aren't talking to each other. In fact, I saw him come up to you in the pits afterwards. I mean, what is the state of play between you two at the moment? Well, Eric and me used to be good friends a year ago, but it seems like there's been a few problems since Olsen come in between us. But we still talk together. Uh, so. Uh, just a pity, you know. I just hope we can get an end to it and uh, sort of hopefully Olsen will go as team manager next year. That's, that's really all there is to it, I think. People would like to see an end to it, but the feud is still going on, though, isn't it? Oh, there's still a few things going on, yeah, but at least now that I'm left out of the uh, Danish team, uh, at least they can't ban me now. Obviously, it's a sad situation. I mean, I would like to ride for Denmark, but I, it's just that I feel that I can't work with Ola. I feel he's done so many silly things that I just can't work with him. Do you, do you think that you and Eric will be able to patch it up eventually? I think so, yeah. As I said before, if, if, if Ola stops as uh, team manager, I think we'll be OK. So the problem, as far as you're concerned, is Oli Olsen, really, more than Eric? Exactly. So so one win the way there, so we should have won that as well. But uh, certainly we've, we've, after that, we, we, uh, we uh, came down, calmed down a bit and, and got a bit more friendly again uh, later uh, when Ola was no more team manager and, and, and we won a few and uh, won with others like Tommy and, and Jano as well. And 
so certainly great being top on on top of the world in 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 most of the competitions in in PS World Team Cup and individual as well. Uh, those years was was really great times. Ollie Olsen will say that this is what Danes do. You know, the uh, the rivalry has always been there. Everybody wants to be the top Danes. The Danes like beating each other. And that's the same now uh, in the Grand Prix series uh, in this present era as, as it has ever been. So the rivalry's always been there. You had a big rivalry with Ollie Olsen uh, on the track, obviously with, with Eric on the track, the two of you trading blows for, for world titles for many years. So were you expecting when Ollie became the team manager this rivalry to then continue in that in the way that it did no not really when when uh, when they announced that he was uh, going to be a team manager probably you know when he retired uh, in 83 and he was uh, during the window it was mentioned that he he would uh, become a team manager i thought i remember actually uh, there was a few interviews in the paper danish paper and i i i i said that no it's fine that's great you know all of course uh, I'm sure all the stuff we've been through, obviously we were rivaled Ollie and I on the track and he's, you know, been pretty hard on me on time. So I've been pretty hard on him on time. So we were, we were actually pretty, pretty, pretty big rivals as, as well. Uh, when I first started meet, uh, beating him in England, uh, after I've been there a couple of years, he, he wasn't obviously, uh, very, very glad that uh, young Dane, he came and beat him. So we, we became quite rivals and, and, uh, was pretty tough uh, on each other, but, Obviously, when he then became team manager and he he, he retired himself, I, I thought, okay, well, fine, yeah. I mean, we've, yes, we've been rivals, but you know that's all forgotten now. He's kind of a team manager. That's great. We can learn a lot from him. I'm sure. I'm looking forward to it and so on. I remember saying that to the newspaper as well. And but when when I then realised when we came to the first uh, qualification, the, the Scandinavian final up in uh, in uh, Sweden, uh, obviously the first step uh, on the way to to qualifying for the World Championship, then. Uh, he was only in Eric's corner, and look, just looking after him. And there was like two or three of us uh, as well. All the Danes in the pitch just look, uh, had to look after us. So then I thought, "Hey, what's happening here?" And, and uh, then it turned out later that he was uh, he's only uh, he's only uh, uh, he was concentrating about Eric to, to trying to to make him a world champion, which I thought was pretty stupid when you have a team manager who's supposed to help us all. So in the end, I, I didn't get any help at all of him, which, which I had hoped for. But so, so you know, a couple of years uh, went by and I tried to get rid of him as a team manager. I thought it was very much wrong. And I, I did contact the Danish Motor Federation telling them about the situation. But but of course, Ola was scored at the time and uh, and the Danish Motor Federation just didn't have any opinions at the time. So uh, so that, that was pretty tough, uh, tough couple of years. And at this point, you're you're not really an up and coming rider. You're, you know, finishing second in world championships, and you know you're you're battling with Eric Gunderson. You're the two top riders in Danish speedway. Were you surprised that, despite your position in the sport, that your opinion really counted for not a lot? No, it didn't really because Ola's been there for years and had had obviously worked up a, a a lot of respect from from the press and everything. So whatever he sort of said. To the newspapers, you know, uh, didn't really matter what I said. That you know, I, I couldn't really sort of uh, explain myself against him, and uh, so everything was sort of turning his way. He had the sort of paper in his hand and and, and told them whatever he he thoughts were, and I was trying to you know uh, answer in another newspaper, whatever. But obviously, having Ola having the obviously the Danish crowd and and paper and everything on his side and the DMU, and so it was tough for for me. Uh, 
you know, as a, as a, a sort of 23 year old having to, to fight against him on my own. So, obviously, the rest of the team, the Danish team, didn't really care too much. And, and so it was, it was, it was, it was really uh, only me having to fight him on my own. Danish Speedway, though, was rocked, as was World Speedway, with the events of the 17th of September 1989. On the very first bend, all four riders lived through their worst nightmare, an horrific crash which was to put all of them out of action for the rest of the championships. Gunnarsson came off the worst and was rushed into intensive care at a local hospital with a broken neck. You were in the team, of course, on that day at Bradford when Eric suffered his career-ending and and life-changing injuries, of course, and this is a risk of Speedway. You know that when you arrive, but to see it so close to you must have sent shockwaves long beyond the day itself. You know, obviously you had to carry on with the meeting, but then over time, really, the the true effects, the long-lasting effects that that had, not just on Danish Speedway, but on World Speedway. Yes, it certainly had. I mean, after after that day, we were all uh, just lost interest in, in in a sense. You know, where the motivation had gone for a while, and it, it took you know weeks for us to sort of go back to to normal. Uh, when we, you know, eventually realized that he, he's going to make it and and uh, and hopefully get alive again. And and but you know, it took quite a long time where we were sort of just on an autopilot and then uh, did the meeting you had to do. But it was uh, it was a shock to, to us all, definitely. Uh, I mean, we all know it can happen to to uh, to, to anyone and, and uh, yourself in, included. And, and you just had to kind of learn to live with that. And now it got so close uh, to you as well. You, you, it made obviously made you think a little bit, although you try to convince yourself that you know, it's not going to happen to me and it's a part of the sport and so on. You know, you still obviously thought about it. So, And the fact, obviously, we lost his, uh, his points as well uh, and uh, as a writer as well uh, for the future and, uh, where it was tough, and especially on the night, of course, we, we, we obviously lost the motivation and, and all the points from Eric. So couldn't win it on the day, so England won it instead. But um, So... Yeah, that was, that was a big shock, and obviously, uh, looking back, it's it's at least you know Eric had a you know he, he did uh, he did uh, survive and and got back to a, a reasonable life and has done done a lot of uh, great work for Danish Speedway as a, a coach for both the both seniors and and uh, later the the juniors. And this incident occurred just a couple of weeks or so after you'd been crowned world champion for the third time. But there goes Hans Nielsen to take his title, surely. The front wheel is coming up. Hans Nielsen is there to celebrate. The crowd is celebrating. The wheelie over the line sees Hans Nielsen as the world champion and joins five golden greats as men who have won this title on at least three occasions. So you claim the final world title of the 1980s and starting a new decade, though, without Eric. Um, Did you in some way find that you'd lost some of the edge because you didn't have the pressure from Eric in the years after that? Probably looking back, maybe I didn't sort of really realize it probably so much at the time, but I think it took a little bit of edge of, of mine, uh, desperation to win, to beat Eric. And obviously all of a sudden he wasn't there to, to beat anymore. And I didn't think too much about it at the time, but I, when I look back, I think I did lose a little bit of what we talked about with smartly uh, hasn't lost yet, but that, that little bit of uh, desperation and, uh, 
and will to to keep winning. Uh, I still wanted to win, but as I say, maybe not quite as desperately. So, so maybe that showed a little bit after, as you say, in '90, Bradford didn't didn't do that well. Uh, was it when I was supposed to be third? Sean Moran got disqualified, was it? Uh, and in his history books, uh, I think I should have stayed, I should have been a uh, bronze winner, but uh, there wasn't any bronze winners. I was just number four. That was a weird thing, but never mind. Um, but after that, yes, it, it took a little while. And also the GM was coming on the scene at the time and I was still on the cotton and uh, uh, starting to maybe feel that the GM was maybe just becoming a little faster than I liked and the cotton was maybe not developing the engine, developing the engine as much as I would have liked to and uh, uh, didn't quite, maybe not quite have the speed that I, I used to have had. So... So uh, a couple of years went by and, and I had to do something. And so it was like 92, I, I've decided that, you know, either I'm going to join the rest or I'm, I'm going to try something else. And, and I, I never really liked to do what everybody else does. So I, I thought, well, I've seen the Java go pretty well. A few had tested the Java and it was going pretty well. So talked to them, went to the factory and and, uh, and we've decided that we, we would do a, do a works contract with them. And one of the advantages with Yao, of course, was that they made a complete bike with frames and everything. And uh, and my longtime uh, tuner and friend from Denmark, Fleming, was uh, we agreed that there was no reason why this engine shouldn't be able to go uh, as fast as the GM or even faster. So we decided we would... We would give it a chance, and 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 we did. And but obviously, it took a little while to really get it going. Uh, in and uh, say ninety two, I was, I then broke my collarbone uh, uh, and had a three weeks off before the Scandinavian final up in Norway, uh, and on a rainy day. And that was the only year that I missed the world final, unfortunately. To to. Uh, and partly maybe the Jawa wasn't quite competitive enough and partly had a you know been out for three weeks with a broken collarbone and so so a few different reasons and uh, and as you mentioned Havelock was probably pretty glad that uh, I, I wasn't in Russia at the time so. yeah he's got no so, complaints so, about that I don't think <laughs> no no so so uh, you know I had a couple of years there different things as I say with Eric uh, not being there and uh, a little bit of problems with equipment and stuff but what happened then was the following year in '93 was uh, the we start talking about laydowns, and actually they were start it was discussed at the at the FIM meetings in uh, in the winter '92 and '93, and uh, as I say, I was there at the writer, writer, as a writer's representative, and and we've I've talked to a few writers, and we've sort of agreed that we've seen the the, the laydown being experimented uh, with on the long track. Some had start using the lay down on the, on the long track and and uh, we, we were sort of thinking that well what happens if it gets into speedway do we need it or what's the advantage and stuff and we're pretty i think we all pretty much agreed that why would we all have to why would we all use lay down all of a sudden who's who's going to gain and what's it going to do for the sport so i mentioned this at the at the congress during the winter and uh, and uh, said uh, brought it up about this long track thing should we maybe ban it now before it it, it we get it onto the speedway because 
that just, you know, if it's faster, which obviously that's why people would ride it. Uh, and, and if it is, then everybody would have to get on it. And, and then everybody would have to change their bikes and stuff and cost, uh, cost, cost a lot of money for everybody. And and if it is faster, then what's the point? We don't really need the speedway to be faster. We want it to be safer, not faster. We want good racing, but faster bikes is not necessarily better racing. So so I suggested it there. But the only reply from the FIM at the, the time was that, oh, no, we can't stop development. And I thought, what development? I mean, it's, there's no development going a little bit faster and, and spending a lot of money on, on nothing. And uh, But that was it. So the following uh, the, the, next, the following year, 1993, Klaus Schlausch had uh, made uh, these two lay-down uh, speedway bikes and uh, having them tested, and they asked me to test it if I'd like to try them. And uh, so, yeah, why not? Uh, now they've allowed it, you know, it's going to come eventually and we're going to have to try it. And I thought it's pretty good, so I started riding his two bikes the rest of the year. And uh, this was like maybe well, sometime at the beginning of the year. I think the first match I did was a test match in Denmark against uh, was it against England? And uh, I thought it was doing fine, and I rode it for the rest of the year. And uh, yeah, nearly became world champion on it in the, in Pucking. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another one that got away. Samo Malenko became world champion, but the two of you met in a real decisive heat in Pocking, and um, it was actually one of the most controversial incidents of that year as well, wasn't it? Yeah, obviously, I remember one of the headlines in Speedway Star, I think they called it Pocking Hell or something like that, <laughs> so it was pretty, um, which it was a bit for me, but it was obviously, I felt I was um, on the laydown, I had the speed speed back, and I thought I was the, the fastest on the day, and 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 uh, winning uh, sort of uh, most things. Uh, and obviously when I met Sam, he made the, made the gate and uh, I just had to pass him and I was probably being uh, being too eager to pass him and we got a little close and uh, it was a bit of a, a little bit similar to Atomic, Atomic Nooch in 86 where he was going in really wide. I just went inside him and just sort of passing him and, and drifting out a little bit too. And he was sort of realizing I was there and trying to turn it back on me. and. And we crashed. Coming into heat 15, and this is the one the world has been waiting for because we have the clash of the mighty. We have Samo Malenko on the outside, unbeaten on nine points. We have Hans Nielsen next to him in the white helmet. He has eight points. He's been waiting a long time, and away they go. And it's Ermalenko who gets away. Ermalenko from the outside. Nielsen is after him. Smith is third. But Ermalenko has made the critical jump, and Nielsen now must set him up as they hit the bottom corner. Still Ermalenko in front. There's a bike length between them. Nielsen makes his move down the inside. Going wide, wide, wide. He's hit him. Well, what about that? Going in hard, 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 too hard. Down has gone Sam Ermalenko. We'll look at it again, but the first reaction is that Nielsen just went inside his back wheel, just collected Sam Ermalenko. Ermalenko stands clearly upset with that. It was a ruthless piece of corning. Look at it again. Ermalenko has the line. Watch Nielsen. Nielsen comes inside. Did he pick him up? Did his back wheel make contact? You must judge for yourself, but it looks as though Sam Ermalenko has been knocked off there. Nielsen again. We'll look at it again. We'll slow it right down. Nielsen, you can see, might just be up in front of the scene. If you have the outside line, it's beneficial here at Pocking. There is Ermalenko. 
Ermelenko on the outside and Nielsen moves across there. The race has been stopped. The referee has got to exclude somebody for being the cause of the stoppage. And it looks as though Nielsen is going to be the man because Nielsen came under just so hard that it might have just had the drop. But Ermelenko went down and the white light is on and Nielsen has been excluded and we're going to be talking about that for years to come. And unfortunately, my good old friend Frank Epton looked at uh, on Sam's side. I never was too much friendly with Mr. Epton, so so I think that, that waited a little bit as well. But, but as I say, that, you know, uh, 86, I was a little bit lucky maybe, and now I was a little, little bit unlucky. So, it, you know, some you win, some you lose. But I think another problem on the day, of course, was the, the fact that Sam got a little lucky when he stopped in the race, uh, was with a broken chain or whatever, and somebody else then later stopped up front. And they stopped the race and he got back in it again. That was... That was a big mistake, I think. And if that hadn't happened, then uh, then um, you know the runoff would be for the world title instead of uh, the silver medal against uh, Chris at the time. So so it could have been one. Yeah, again, small small bits and pieces. Uh, some you win, some you lose. Yeah, so another silver medal, and same again the year after, runner-up to Tony Ricardson when he claimed the world title in the last ever one-off world final in 1994. And of course, after that. It was the Grand Prix series, and the Grand Prix series then started off fairly small. It was six rounds, uh, but you were the first Speedway Grand Prix champion in 1995. So you said that you prefer the Grand Prix format, um, so you must have been delighted when this finally came in, and you showed that by winning it. Well, obviously, when when they first uh, started talking about it, we'd said it off. <laughs> three or four years before it actually happened. You know, first they had the Amsterdam thing uh, over the two days, which was, I guess, a little bit of a test in one respect, although they realized two days in a row is not the really ideal thing. I thought so after I won it, but obviously. But, but. Now we move into Heat 38, which Sam and Malenko had to win to stand any realistic chance of winning the world title. But certainly, uh, where, while the discussion was going, I, I was the writer's representative in the FIM, and obviously I was supporting it uh, well for myself, and, and a lot of other writers uh, would like the system uh, to go ahead as well. Uh, I thought, obviously, it would be an advantage for me uh, as well, having been uh, sort of uh, a pretty good performer all, the, all through the season. I thought it wouldn't be, be an advantage, and I thought it would be good for the sport having uh, regular events, you know, so it's not only that one event you see on television every year and everybody talks about now you'll have an event every uh, couple of weeks or three uh, to talk about, and obviously... Uh, if you have a world champion after six rounds, and especially now with 10 or 11, uh, it's uh, more uh, uh, realistic or the right world champion after so many rounds. Uh, uh, so in any way, I thought it was a good idea. And I think, you know, with sponsors, television and all sorts of things, uh, it, it was great. And uh, and I was really pleased that it uh, it did uh, come into terms in uh, in 95 and I had, a, I had a chance to win it for the first time then. And we look at the overall standing, you can see Hans Nielsen has increased his lead over Tony Ricards and Henrik Gustafsson has moved up into third place. Then we have Mark Raman, Billy Hamill on 41, Chris Louie losing a bit of ground on 40, Thomas Golub on 38, Sam Ermelenko on 35. The celebrations will go on long into the night, the Danes will have their lager out. On the subject of the Speedway Grand Prix series now, Bartosz Smarschlik has joined you on four world championships now. It's a, a fairly select club. Do you think that he can go on to be the greatest ever? Do you think he will continue winning? And what do you think is the secret 
to Smarshlik's success in, in how he rides? Is it the fact that he keeps out of trouble, that he has a particular style that, that gives him the advantage over his competitors? And, and your memories of, of seeing Smarshlik as a youngster when you were uh, working in, in that scene with the, with the Danish setup? Well, I don't think there's one secret. I mean, he's been a great rider ever since I first saw him on the, on the 21. I think I've been in Norway, uh, oh, sorry, in Sweden um, uh, for, uh, I think it was on the 21 uh, World Championship team. And uh, already then on this little track in not chipping, he just turned it like, you know, it was play for him. And uh, already then I thought, oh, gee, well, you got a good a good guy here for the future. And obviously watching him through the years, uh, the stuff he's been doing, a really tough rider, hard rider. Uh, you you think he takes some gambles, but on the other hand, he, he's not crashing. He, he knows what he's doing and, and uh, just... Uh, just an incredible ride and obviously having the setup he has his family behind him and everything and the sponsors and the money and everything he's uh, he's uh, on top of the world but and then you you have guys asking well is he going to keep winning the next five ten years and 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 every time it happened like you know ty Wolfenden did the same thing the first three years and then you think he's going to win another you know he's going to win seven eight or something but you know sooner or later you you you, I did it myself. Uh, you, you're gonna lose some of that desperation and and uh, will to win, and and uh, and there are other things in life. You get kids and stuff, and 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 uh, that hasn't happened for. Well, he has got kids, yeah, smartly, but but he certainly hasn't lost the drive yet. But but you know, sooner or later he's going to. We would think, and and then and then others are going to take over. But whether it's going to be uh, after four or five or six or seven uh, titles, we don't know. But I, I certainly hope he's going to continue to do really well because he's a hell of a rider to watch and I love to watch him. And the future for Danish Speedway has, has been in your hands and yours and, and Eric Gunderson's, uh, to name two, bringing through this next generation of which we're familiar with now in this country. We've we've had um, the likes of Benjamin Basso, Jonas Knudsen, a, a couple of the up-and-comers. Jonas has got a brother as well, hasn't he, who's he's also riding. And then on the Grand Prix stage, you've got Leon Madsen, Mikkel Mikkelsen, Anders Thompson. So the the production line of, of Danish Speedway is uh, is still strong. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, that's what I had hoped. As I said, when Ola became a Danish team manager, I had hoped the same thing, that I could sort of learn a lot from him. But as I said, it didn't happen. But but obviously, all these young guys these days have, have had Eric for, for many years and, and myself uh, was there for six and a half years. So so hopefully, we've, we've been able to, to put them on the right road. And I think we've certainly got a lot of talent there. As you say, Basso is certainly one of them. And uh, Hopefully, uh, during the next few years, they'll develop and, and hopefully we'll get a, a Danish world champion uh, uh, within a few years as well. Uh, but, it, you know, it's a long road to success, as we know, and uh, so we won't really know till, uh, till a few years. But at least, you know, we've, we've got, the, you know, the Leon Madsen, Mikkel Mikkels and Anna Thompson as well being out there in the Grand Prix. So I have, have been and uh, uh, hopefully Anna's will be back in again. At least we got uh, we still have uh, Mikkel, Mikkel and, uh, and Leon. Hopefully they'll, uh, they'll go and win it, uh, one of these days as well. When you were the Danish team manager, were you hyper aware of making sure that you gave attention to all of the riders there in the pits and, and not to fall into the same sort of situation as, as you'd been on the receiving end of with Oli Olsen? So that you obviously you've got a number of Grand Prix riders there to, to manage. Were you able to spread your time evenly across them? 
Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, uh, having three Grand Prix in, in the in the series, and, and you have to look after them. Obviously, is 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 pretty tough, and you try and help them as much as you can. And and obviously, some want more help than others. So so you do whatever is is wanted of you. And uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to be in the situation where I just uh, help the one and not uh, looking after the others. So uh, so that's that's been a yeah a bit of a tightrope to to walk. Four-time individual world speedway champion, 22-time world champion in all various different contests, Hans Nielsen is with us on Humans of Speedway. So far, we haven't really talked about Team Speedway. (laughs) We've been chatting for an hour. Uh, We'll do that in the next part of Humans of Speedway. This is Humans of Speedway. Don't forget to follow, like, or subscribe for free to this podcast so you don't miss any of the new ones as soon as they arrive. And there will be further episodes to come in this series. In this one, though, we're speaking to one of the greatest riders of all time, Hans Nielsen. He's won a total of 22 world championships. Is he arguably the most successful speedway rider of all time? Certainly is overall. And he also won quite a few titles and things with uh, teams as well, including in the British Leagues. He was a three-time British League champion, twice British League Knockout Cup winner, and a three-time British League Pairs champion. He represented the Wolverhampton Wolves, the Birmingham Brummies, the Coventry Bees, but the team that he's most synonymous with is one that's actually back at the top level of Speedway now in the UK, and that's Oxford. Of course, the Oxford Cheetahs are now at the championship level, But uh, when uh, Hans Nielsen was racing there, they were one of the dominant sides through the period from 1984 to 1992. So they were actually your third club, Hans. Um, A big move, but a a club, as I say, that you spent a long time with and had a lot of success with. Yeah, as you mentioned, I was struggling a little bit as far as winning anything with Wolverhampton and later Birmingham. So so it was a great... uh, Change to go to Oxford, where they really had uh, had big plans and uh, and the whole setup and the track was really good and, and they had a couple of track guys there and doing the track really really nicely and uh, nice grip and good racing lines uh, and the fact that they spent the money they had to to get the the riders we needed uh, was uh, was I was really looking forward to uh, and obviously once we got going it did show we did really well and uh, the team spirit there and all the management team managers everything was great and uh, obviously uh, great team spirit and uh, good crowds uh, you know it had to be a success and it was and I really enjoyed racing obviously on the track uh, the best track uh, I thought at the time in, in England and uh, and uh, and everything about it was great and uh, winning those titles with Oxford was really great so I spent nine years there and very enjoyable years uh, good good friends and everything there and uh, and uh, it, it ended uh, uh, uh a little bit abrupt where I would have liked to stay for my testimonial, but but it was the year that uh, they decided they were going to have a, a, a pay structure uh, into force, which I didn't quite agree on. And uh, the only way you could get out of it was uh, having sponsors instead. And, and unfortunately, the Oxford uh, argument was that, well, I was having a testimonial anyway, so I could make my money out there, which I, I didn't think was quite right. And, uh, you know, the testimonial would, should be something extra. And, uh, and in the end, uh, they didn't want to find a sponsor for me either for, for, for to make up for, for the wage. So in the end, I I, I, uh, I was sort of deciding that I would uh, go back to Denmark and uh, just had um, 
just had uh, obviously um, um, decided that uh, it was probably not worth reaching in England if, if the money weren't there. So we were, you know, getting that time of uh, uh, your career that, you know, sooner or later you, you want to go back to Denmark and uh, raise your family. But uh, but then Coventry came in and I had two good years with Coventry, also a great setup and everything, and uh, and that was good. But, I, you know, I, I would have wished that I could have stayed in, in Oxford, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of my, of my career over there. And uh, for that uh, last couple of years or three and have my testimonial, that would have, would have been nice. But uh, that wasn't to be. So that was only a little sour grape as far as Oxford was concerned. Prior to that, and, and, and throughout that time as well, um, from 1983 with Birmingham, and then same with Oxford, onwards to 1990. So for eight years on the trot, you finished at the top of the league averages, uh, which is an incredible record, which I think still stands to this day. Um, clearly, whenever you were visiting a track or whenever any side was up against a side with you in it, you knew that, that you were probably going to score a hatful of points. Which riders and which teams did you find, though, the most difficult to race against? Everybody everybody hated racing against you, but who did you find gave you the, the, the sternest test? Well, obviously, there was various areas. Obviously, when I, eras, when I first came over, obviously, it was the Olsen and Amadeus and so on. Uh, but later on, obviously, it was like Eric. Obviously, whenever we met, uh, you know, meeting greatly, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was great for the, also for the crowd. And uh, we sort of... Change Eric won one race and I won another and so on. So we were very equal at the time. Uh, and of course, you had Tommy Knudsen's and, and Jano Peterson. And, but but in the earlier days, of course, I remember also, of course, uh, Chris Morton, Peter Collins up at Bellevue on the old Bellevue. There were some great races up there. Uh, it was incredible racing track. Um, and uh, I was already then becoming a fairly good starter, uh, although I didn't need to be that good to beat them at the start because they weren't, they weren't very good at the start. So most times at the Lua, I would, would beat them at the start, but the track was so wide and big that you just couldn't stop them. They just, they just passed you, and, uh, and uh, I knew it was going to happen, but it was, uh, it was a bit frustrating. Uh, later on, yeah, I, I obviously yeah, got a way to beat them and got a little faster, but uh, certainly the first few years there was uh, pretty frustrating. But So there's been, I mean, those days, they're all there, all the good guys, and you knew the top guys from each team uh, was, you know, whether it was Jan Anderson from Reading or uh, even back at, you know, Malcolm Simmons as well. And, and all these guys and the, the the Phil Crump, I used to have some great races against him at at uh, at Swindon. Uh, actually, Swindon was one of my my favourite tracks at the time as well. Going back and uh, and the top guys in there's a lot of top guys in all the clubs, and obviously you 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 knew that you had to be on on the best to beat the, these top guys, especially on their home tracks. And now Oxford are back, and and the place looks very very similar to how it used to. And looking back on some of these, you know, videos back from the, you know the nineteen eighties and, and early nineties when you were there, the place is very very similar. Um, and now Oxford running three teams in twenty twenty four, including one in the Premiership in Britain as well. So the top stars are heading back to Oxford once again. Yeah, it's been great to see the development and, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, as I say, all the good years I've had there and to see it back now uh, uh, in the, as best we've seen it for many years is great and, and obviously you think that they belong in, in the best league and, and obviously that would be great to, to see them up there. But on the other hand, if, if you can understand if they have the great success with almost uh, full house now in the crowds, you think what's the next step? But but certainly, yeah, they, they deserve to be in the best uh, in the best league and uh, uh, we would love to see them there and I, I wish them luck. 
you've had experience of riding speedway bikes from the 1970s really through to the present day you, you you've been around speedway for that time you were one of the first to race on a laydown engine um and leaving behind the the days of the the uprights and i know from conversations i've had with kelvin tatum and, and chris louis that i know the three of you have, have, have been conversing about how to make the modern engines less volatile because they have developed over time the laydowns now are not the same as the laydowns you used in the 1990s so just talk to us about that and how you feel that engines could be improved I probably wouldn't go back to operates. I would change the bikes so it gets back to uh, the the sort of more riding um, um, ability of bike uh, easier to ride as in old days. And uh, what it's not only the fact that it's become laid down; it's more the fact that that the changes with the silencer has been the, the biggest difference uh, to the to the bike uh, characteristics over the last. Uh, I don't know how many years is since they start messing with them. Uh, oh, it's about 10 years or something. They start messing with the silences. Uh, first, you had the one where you couldn't get the gas all the way through. And, and later, when they realized that's no good, then now we have the 25 millimeter uh, outlet and it was 15 in, in the old days. And that, that reduction has just made the, the engine so much more sensitive and also makes it hot and it, it 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 doesn't last so long so it's done done a lot of bad things so the first thing i would do if i had anything to say was get the old silencer back but with filling because they did actually do test when they talked about 10 years or whatever it was uh, ago to do make this new one they did test with the old one with the filling actually was less noisier than the new one and the only argument for the FM not to approve it was that they said, well, it's in the rule book, you can't use filling, which I thought then I didn't have anything to do with the time, but I thought oh, that sounds pretty stupid. I mean, yeah, maybe it's in the rule book, but you're the guys that makes the rules, you just change the rules and put this filling in instead, because this new filling was a new kind of stuff you use in cars as well, and that would last for years. So that would have been so much easier, and, and the bike would have have. have have been still been a lot easier to ride, and that is the biggest problem these days. They are so they're so fine tuned, and you got to be pretty lucky on the day to get it the right setup. And that's why you hear even more now about setups and stuff than you did in the old days, because now you got such a small uh, tunnel where you know you got to really hit it really right. And one race you can have it right, and the next race you can you can be right off and, and got be last and, and, and that's that's a shame and that must be frustrating for the for the riders and, and, and expensive because you have to have them serviced so much more often. Uh, so that is probably the biggest thing I would change that is the silence and then of course the bike would probably be quicker as well so you probably need to to uh, slow it down a little bit again maybe just with a smaller carburetor again or something like we did uh, uh, back in the days from I think was it 38 millimeter down to uh, to 34 as we're using now and my maybe it's time to go maybe it's time to go down another couple of uh, of millimeters or or even or even go down with the rev you know we have 13 and a half thousand is uh, is the max you could even go down if you got the new silencer go down to 12 because uh, the new or the old silencer with the old big hole in that would have more torque and the the, the bike just rides so much better with with torque and so and you don't need so many rev that'll make the, the bike last a lot longer. So things like that I would change, yeah. But going back to the operates, obviously you would have the same problem and the cost again, if you have to go back to the operates, you would have to change everything again, which was, would be silly, I think. 
Yeah, bad news, upright fans. The uh, the laydowns are here to stay. Um, you are heading into team management's hands in 2024 in the Polish second division with Piwa, which is a side you rode for for six seasons. So one that you're synonymous with and, and had your, uh, most of your success in, in Poland with. Um and some familiar names as well in that team for British listeners. Adam Ellis and Dan Jilks will be racing for you. Jonas Knudsen as well, another name who's uh, spent time uh, in the UK in the last couple of seasons. Jonas Jepsen of uh, Denmark, uh, also involved in that side as well. So um, a new challenge for you at uh, familiar surroundings. Yeah, I think they, they built a, a reasonable good team. Of course, it's it's difficult to exactly say how strong a team do we have to have in, in second division. But, uh, you know, when you look at all the teams, I think we've got a fairly good team. The big joker at the moment, I think, is the fact now they have to have two Polish juniors in there. And, and the two juniors we have, I don't know much about. And, and obviously, the, the, if we can get them going and, uh, and their point count just as much as, as others, uh, that, 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 that could be a difference. But I think the whole... Uh, the setup of the club is really good, and I went to to see them uh, before this season uh, when they had the presentation for the riders, and they've just started up then. And, and uh, I think you know it's been a little bit up and down the last few years, but this new management now uh, seems to be very professional and uh, and doing a, a lot of hard work and doing the right things. So. So uh, although it was sort of, uh, we didn't actually discuss whether I should help them or not in the spring, but, but you know, I think it was in the air a little bit that maybe they would ask me one day. But, and, and they did uh, uh, after the season. And I thought, yeah, great. Um, look forward to it. And I think it's, it's a great challenge. Now, I obviously had a long, a good career myself. And now I had, a, you know, being a, the, the coach for Denmark six and a half years where I learned a lot. Uh, that was a big shock from being a writer to being a, a Danish coach. And now um, I've learned a lot from that. And hopefully I can use it in uh, uh, for to do some good work at, at, at Piwa. The biggest difference, of course, to the to the coach job uh, as a Danish coach is the fact that now you have a meeting every week almost, and you have the same team, and you can you know keep building. And with you know the Danish uh, coach job is just the one big meeting a year for the for the for the for the team. Of course, also for the you have others for the for the under twenty ones and under nineteens and so on. But so this is more continuous, and you can sort of you know build up and hopefully. Uh, hopefully be successful that way. And obviously I will be involved in a, in a few different things with tracks and stuff like that as well. And so it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun, but of course a lot of traveling again, but, uh, but I don't, don't mind so much the traveling. It's, it's, uh, as far as a Danish uh, coach job was more, you know, all the politics and all the office work and stuff every day. After you've been traveling for three days and you come home and you still have a lot of work to do this, uh, this, uh, this will be a little different. It's mainly when you're away and you have all the work. So, so a uh, new challenge, uh, but I look forward. Well, surely success is is not far away. It rarely is. And your career speaks for itself, Hans. And just looking at it, there's so much we could have talked about. But over 50 individual medals, over 25 team medals, um, 11 World Cup medals, 7 World Pairs medals, 12 Speedway World Championship podiums, in effect, uh, including, of course, four gold. Um You've said that the the first world title would would be the thing that stands out most in your career, but I, I'm interested that beyond that, what achievements do you hold up 
personally in, in highest regard, aside winning your first world title, what would you single out as being your uh, your big achievements? Well, it typically, you know, the first first wins you have, I mean, the Danish championship on, you know, the junior championship back back as a 16-year-old really is very fresh in my mind. And uh, now I've had the, that old six millimeter film turned onto to a hard disk as well. Like, you know, being able to watch that is really fun. But of course, after that, again, the desperation before winning the first uh, uh, Thailand '86 in in Hoso in Katowice there was uh, is 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 the absolute biggest uh, for me, and uh, the biggest in my memory. And and um, and after that, I, I guess I was really big when we won the first title as well. Ole and I, best pairs in in Denmark, where it was really huge as well. With obviously with with with. with Full crowd, fifteen, eighteen thousand people, and, and winning in, uh, at home was 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 huge. But but also the year before in in, in Landshut, winning the first time in as I say, all the first times are the are the are the, are the special ones. Uh, the World Team Cup in uh, in Landshut uh, was fantastic, uh, uh, and obviously when you're the after that, when you're not talking titles, you know the farewell meetings in in Brost and uh, in in Piwa I had was was huge as well. Uh, uh, last the last uh, last time on a on a 500 cc bike in in Piwa in '99 when I retired, uh, it was uh, was good with the, with the full uh, house there and uh, celebration and everything. So. And well, you mentioned on your 500 cc bike there for the final time, but it wasn't too long ago that you were on an SGP4 bike where you, um, well, you did some laps on the SGP4 bikes, didn't you, in um, in Melilla? But then you also took on Leon Madsen in a race, and um, you won. <laughs> Still got it. He was sort of uh, all meeting. He was uh, saying, "Ah, oh, Hans, I want to have a go on this one ninety and stuff." So he went out before the meeting just to have a little practice, and thought, "Ah, oh, it's pretty good fun." And he was all through the meeting. He said, "I want to, I want to meet you in a in a race, Hans. Can we do a race?" And I said, "Ah, oh, yeah, but there's a lot of races going on, all this and stuff." And but yeah, when we finish the last race, the final, we can have a quick, we can have a quick go. But of course, by then. The camera had turned off, so when we had the little race, so uh, of course he thought he was going to beat me easy because I was. We, we probably didn't look that fast when Sam and I was racing, but uh, I, uh, I did. I did turn it on a little bit more when I met uh, Leon, so uh, so I beat him pretty comfortable. So <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't like that too much. <laughs> you don't. You don't lose it, eh? Those old. Those old skills came straight back to you. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you never lost it. Um, well, th- thanks for joining us, Hans. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. You know, an absolute icon of many people, including myself, um, who'll be listening to this, uh, who will have been entertained and, and thrilled and, and maybe exasperated at times. But you have been an entertainer throughout your career and, and one of one of the all time greats. Um, before we we wrap up, just a word on on British Speedway and and how it can contribute to a rider's development. You, of course, made the decision to come over here very early. It's been very good to you, but you've been a very good rider. It hasn't really set you back. I think coming over to Britain is is British Speedway still a place to come to learn your craft if you want to go on to the top level. Well, certainly as, as team coach, I've been recommended the young guys to go over there. I think it's still a great place to learn. It's a great country. I love to be over there. The people over there are very friendly and all the different tracks you learn. So, so yes, I think it's still the place to be, certainly for, you know, when you're young. Uh, you can obviously discuss later on when you're busy, when you want to go and make money in Poland and uh, where you have to be to make money. And other places, maybe Sweden and if, uh, in Denmark, then you might be too busy having to ride in four countries. But it's a great place to be and we certainly recommend 
recommend it to any anybody to to go there and ride. And nice to see some of the the, 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 the elite coming back, some of the Grand Prix riders coming back, and uh, hopefully uh, make it big again over there someday. Yeah, it's uh, certainly heading in the right direction. Well, look, thanks for joining us, Hans. It has been an absolute pleasure and a delight. All the best for 2024 and everything you do. And uh, thanks for joining us on Humans of Speedway. Thank you. You too, yeah. All the best. Bye. Hans Nielsen on Humans of Speedway. Absolutely incredible. What you can't see, of course, by listening to this is the, the fact that when he was doing the interview in his office, on the wall behind him, he's got all of his medals mounted and framed. Uh, of course, there's, there's 22 gold medals that he won through his career for the different you know, team events, the individual events, but also there's the, then the silvers and the bronzes. <laughs> there's a lot of metal work in there, so it was incredible to see that and just show quite how much he's won over his career. Thanks must go as well to Ryan Guest, who helped secure the interview with Hans for the podcast. There's many more episodes to listen through. In this current series, we spoke to Brady Kurtz, the title-winning captain of the Bellevue Aces, and we've also got Bellevue's new signing, Ben Cook, um, from a few weeks back as well. He's also the captain of the Pool Pirates. We've got Speedway Grand Prix referee Craig Ackroyd, who was also the referee on duty that day where Bartosz Schmarschlik got disqualified in the uh, in the Danish GP. And we spoke to Alan Rossiter uh, earlier as well. But there's many, many more episodes to go back through over the last few years. So uh, please do delve into those and uh, help fill out the time through the, those uh, cold, dark winter months. We'll be back with another episode very soon. In the meantime, thanks for listening once again to Humans of Speedway. Podcast Network.